Do you find yourself searching for true crime podcasts that are different from what you're always recommended? Do you want to make a real difference in the cases that you're following? Well, you're a crime junkie. And I'm Ashley Flowers the creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. There are hundreds of episodes already available, and each Monday we dive into the details of cases spanning from some of the most infamous to those that you have never heard covered before. Listen to Crime Junkie podcast now, wherever you're listening. Hey, last podcast on the left, listeners. We're looking to get some advertisers to help our podcast stay free as it always has been. We just need you to complete a short anonymous survey that's going to take no more than five minutes. The answers that you give are going to help to match us up with advertisers that are going to best fit last podcast on the left and you. All right. And if you do complete the survey, you're going to be immediately entered into an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card, which is a pretty great uh, prize, if you ask me. We promise not to share or sell your email address. The fucking government doesn't. But we won't send you an email unless you win. Please go to podsurvey.com slash last. That's podsurvey.com slash L-A-S-T to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card or, you know, we're going to sell you some e-cigarettes. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> Henry, what would you do with a $100 gift card from Amazon? I think I would buy the uh, uh, the new expanded edition of Book of the Law by Aleister Crowley. Do something better than that <laughs> when you win with your $100 yeah. uh, Amazon gift card. Thank y'all and hail Satan. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. I got to say, can that can these Russians just name a pass something nice? <laughs> just be nice. Can it be called like Jefferson Pass or Washington Pass? I'm so sick of these Riffion passes and the Dilatov passes. That's why these skiers dying them. <laughs> Dilatov. Dilatov. Um, ready to go, Marcus? We're ready. All right, welcome to the show. That's Marcus Parks. I'm Ben Kissel. Who's joining us? My name's Randy Johnson. I'm a professional skier from. From the hills of Tennessee. Well, there's a baseball player named after you, too. The big unit, Randy Johnson. Yeah, and I ever see him. If I ever see him once in person, I'll give him a slap on his big Jew nose. <laughs> well, I don't know if he's Jewish, and that would be rude to do if he was. He doesn't have I a big gotta nose. I got to tell you, I've never seen a bunch of skiers lose their fucking tongues and mouth muscles on a place called, like, Keith Urban Pass. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Can't be calling it the Tylenol. Tylenol pass? What is this? Some kind of... uh, I ain't got time for this shit. I gotta go down to the Texas Mariners and go find Randy Johnson, the original Randy Johnson, and pull on his pecker until he makes (laughs) some doorbell noises. Oh, yeah. I think you would love that. uh, Yeah, Keith Urban Pass. I feel like if you go underneath it, your pants tighten up and your nuts get bigger. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of those guys. He's got big balls and he's letting everybody know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it true? Well, I don't know. You can see him if you watch his videos. Yeah, they're hugging up. What do you mean? Is this like one of those weird drunk things you do at night? Is that you sit and watch Keith Urban videos and stare at his fucking nuts? (laughs) No, no, no. I've done it stoned. Uh, I've done it 
Uh, all right, <laughs> Dilatov Pass. Uh, welcome to the last podcast on the left, oh, by the that, way, ladies we, and gentlemen. Did they know what they're listening to? <laughs> ben, you have to do the intro. If you, you do not okay. provide the structure mm-hmm. of this show, people right. are going to lose their fucking minds. Welcome <laughs> to sh- Serial, the podcast. <laughs> Everybody oh. loves it. I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't either. I heard it's good. All right, welcome to the last <laughs> podcast on the left, a far superior podcast every other podcast out there. All right, Marcus, what's today's subject all about? The, today we're talking about the Dilatov Pass incident. Now, the reason why all we're right. doing this is because the, the fucking flimsy reason is because it's cold outside. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> That's why we decided to do this topic, as if it's cold and we needed a topic, and this was the, this is the coldest topic we could do. Oh, it's very cold out there. Well, Miserable. What we were going to do a whole episode on uh, people freezing to death, like mm-hmm. the Donner Party mm-hmm. and uh, the Brazilian soccer team and all them. But once I started getting into the Dilatov Pass incident, I found so much interesting shit. This has everything. It's got Yetis. It's got aliens. It's Ooh. got KGB conspiracies. Cool. It's got weird Russian Native Americans. I don't know what the term is for a Russian Indian. Ukrainian? Uh- <laughs> I think so. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Is the Yeti KGB? It's possible. Uh-oh. You'll just Definitely have to listen. trained by the KGB. Mm. I don't know if he stayed with the fucking faction or right. if he splintered off and made some sort of black cop group on their own. Who knows with these fucking Russian Yetis? I can trust an American <laughs> Bigfoot. I agree. I think the Yeti, what's better, Sasquatch, Yeti, or Big, Bigfoot? I think we've had the discussion before. I say Sasquatch because it I sounds s- like a food. I say Sasquatch, too. All right. Sasquatch means wise man of the mountain. So <laughs> very good. That's what it says. Um, the other thing about Dilatov Pass is, I mean, people have been requesting this topic. We, uh, I've been, we've been aware of this topic for a long time. It's very ooky spooky. Mm. But the other thing is too is that it's one of those great, perfect events for us where it's got everything. It's got all the shit and tongues missing Ooh. and big titted German women. Ooh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> very good. And ugly. Ukrainian men. No, leave them alone. They're going through a hard time right now. <laughs> so the Dilatov Pass incident, it's an event that resulted in the death of nine skiers north of the Ural Mountains in Siberia on February 2nd, 1959. Uh, yeah. Sonny Bono was not involved then, huh? <laughs> Sonny Bono died in an isolated Sonny Bono incident. Yeah, that yes. was much later. That was in uh, the 90s. Uh, okay. uh, so it happened on the east coast of Kolyatsyakl. And that I think that's good. It's beautiful language. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, and that name in the language of the local indigenous Mansi tribe means, alternatively, it means either mountain of the dead or simply don't go there. Yeah. Now, this is the thing is that, you know, ancient peoples have been wrong about a lot of things. Right. You know, they've been wrong about like slavery mm-hmm. and like don't keep bears as pets. Mm. Um, but sometimes they're right. And sometimes if they name a place like, hey, don't go there, like specifically <laughs> right. if it's called, hey, let's not go there, they normally, like, that's a that's a general direction. That's like a, hey, oh, we, we did go there once, and it was... It wasn't like the funnel cake stand. Nope, don't go there. That we made in the town square. I love how literal these people are. <laughs> what are you going to name it? Everybody died there. Don't go there. <laughs> so in January of 1959, 23-year-old Igor Dilatov. You never hear of an Igor skiing. You don't think so? No, I never thought. I, I feel what like are you this, talking about? I feel like he Igor skis on his only knees. travels by ski or toboggan. Igor? <laughs> I can see the toboggan. 
Igor, Igor's travel by ski or toboggan or by or pulling a cart with their own bare hands that's full of fucking bones. Uh. <laughs> so he led a group of eight young Soviet hikers comprising of seven men and two women, and they were mostly universal uh, university students. He led them into the Ural Mountains, attempting to reach Mount Ortorten uh, from a small settlement in Vizhai. It was a 350-kilometer-long ski trip, mm. and it was meant to commemorate the 21st Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. <laughs> and again, again, they did this dumb ski trip that they all died on to commemorate the Communist Party. And what do we do for America on July 4th? We fucking drink beers yeah. and have barbecues safely in a park. Yes. Well, we don't know if they weren't drunk. There's a good <laughs> chance they were loaded when they did all of this. So all of these travelers, they were all very experienced mountain. This is very important to know later on. They were very experienced mountaineers. They've uh, they skied across frozen lakes and long stretches of uninhabited areas just to get to the point in which their bodies were found. Oh, I thought that was just to get to the supermarket. And that was just to it's get Russia. to the Bjorg store in order yeah. to repair their freshly used Bjorgs. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love that Bjorg store. Where'd you get your new Bjorg at? The Bjorg store? Yes, I went to the 4th Bjorg store on the corner of Bjorg Street and Bjorn Avenue. God, I gotta get a new Borg. Bjorg. <laughs> Jesus. So the uh, only- Jorgi, can I ask one question? Uh-huh. What technically is Bjorg? It's a, uh... Bread? <laughs> it's bread. It's got to be yeah. bread. <laughs> so there was only one member of this expedition that survived, this guy named Yuri Yudin, and he got sick before the crew made it fully into the back country, and he stayed behind at the village where all these people were last seen alive. Cool. And in later interviews, he remembered a conversation between one of the local men and Igor Dilatov. Uh, he didn't catch the entire conversation, but it seemed like to him that the local was trying to warn Dilatov about something. He was yeah. trying it's to called don't go there. <laughs> you don't go there. You do not okay. go there. If anybody over 60 tells you not to go somewhere in a town that you have never been to before, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because if they liked it, if it was super boring and they liked it, which is what these people like, just go skiing as a fucking habit or whatever. I don't know. I understand people who ski. They'd be there. He, if it was nice, they they'd be, be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to see if Yuri Yudin, instead of actually being sick, and it was actually some sort of series of shenanigans where he accidentally super glued his butt to a toilet seat, <laughs> and that's why he couldn't go. <laughs> well, he stayed behind, this Yuri Yudin guy, but the other nine <laughs> trekked on, and on January 29th, it continued over the Lozva River uh-huh. and to the Ospia River, and not much is noted in their journals, because they did find many journals from the these uh, these travelers, the only thing that they noted on these days is that they were following a Mansi trail. Mansi being no. the indigenous people ah. who told them when who I named sw- the place. Read this, don't go I there. I thought it mm. was Manzi, man. and they were all like a bunch of broad-chested, like big, thick, burly-haired, like man, like huge <laughs> yeah. men. Follow the Manzi trail for the good times. <laughs> but then I looked them up on Wikipedia, mm. and they are. Very tiny. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, they're very tiny. You have to be small and compact to survive in the mountains of Siberia. Interesting. I would assume uh, a broader, more hairy type person would survive best. No, they got to be like little balls of fat. 
and huh. heat takes too much meat. And the problem is, is that they, they and the Russian government with the Manzi tribe. We're gonna. This is gonna come back a lot with these fucking these tiny people. Is that they uh, were very much they were maligned by the Russian government. All these other tiny indigenous peoples were given their own literature section. Like basically said that like they would collect all of their writings and teachings together. But the Manzis weren't. And so there's a lot of feeling that there was there was bad blood between Manzis. Right. And uh, uh, Russians proper. To be fair, that just means they got like different color bricks uh, put in different <laughs> corners of a library, and that was their literary section. I read red. Oh, you read blue? We don't like each other. <laughs> we don't like each other. So they had, they, despite just terrible weather and slower progress than they really wanted, the last diary entries from these people were extremely high spirits, and they even had a little bit of fun. <laughs> and I don't know, I read this uh, in a, uh, I found this in a website, but it said, charmingly, in a very typical Soviet way of bonding, they even produced a little newspaper about the trip, which they titled The Evening or Toten. And it bore the headline, from now on, we know that the snowmen exist. Oh, that's Russian fun. Which but could possibly Then originally, mean. that sounds like a fucking weird warning about Yeti, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It yes. really does. From now on, we know that the snowmen exist. Scary. So it's very possible. But the problem is that they were too, there's such a fucking g group of like Hummel figurine people that <laughs> right. it just came out super cute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they decided on the night of February uh, 1st to camp at the bottom of the mountain slope, and which was a uh, pretty dangerous place to camp. Right. They would have been much better moving a mile down the tree line, uh, in which they would have gotten much more shelter mm -hmm. uh, in case of any sort of accident, any sort of avalanche or something like right. that. But what they think is that it can be explained for two reasons. Either one, uh, Igor wanted practice camping on the slope, or just plain laziness, because they didn't want to go back down the slope and then come back up again, uh, then, uh, losing a mile. Another documentary I watched said that apparently at some point during this, when they had set off on February 1st that night, is that the weather was really nuts and that they may have stopped because it was snowing really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also but I don't know. That, yeah. is, that is to be told. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Dilatov originally said that uh, he was going to be back in contact with Yuri on February 12th. Was well, he was supposed to send a note to his sports group? Yes. And it's just like <laughs> every Soviet and like German person, like they all are like decathlon, like decathletes, and right. they all like shoot and, and, and jump and, and swing on ropes. And they were so much, they should have won World War II. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, they pretty much did. Yeah, they were on our side. Technically, they did. Yeah, they beat the Germans. Yeah, unless you wanted the Germans to win. <laughs> so, Do you not want me to talk about your grandfather anymore or win that bit? Uh, no, ladies and gentlemen, there was a small technical issue while Henry was defaming my late grandfather, and I think I we're just going to leave it out. I, I think we're I just going to leave it. I was saying that your grandfather would have liked if Germany won the war, war because then he would have been celebrated as a war hero right. instead of being Buried in a shallow grave. grave. Yes, <laughs> thank you, Henry. Very kind of you. So Dilatov told Igor, <laughs> or uh, Igor told Yuri that he was going to be in contact with the sports team by February 12th, but it could be longer. But it wasn't until the 20th when there was no contact whatsoever from the team of nine hikers. And by the 26th, the camp had finally been found by a volunteer search and rescue team. 
and nothing that they found made any sense. Now, this is an incredibly mysterious incident. As has been told a number of times, it's it's a very famous incident. What they find here is is very strange because mm. the way they try to explain it out rationally really doesn't make any sense. No. Now, is it because they're drunk or does it not make any sense? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that what they didn't know for a long time is that... Um, there was a thing called Lederhosen fever that was spread by mercury being put in the comically large buttons Love in front of the Lederhosen that would make um they would make uh they would make a, a yorts or a bjorts, which is the term for a female or or male uh in Clerkistgok, whenever wherever they're from, mm-hmm. uh, what the language is. Um it would make their genitals corrupt oh. and they would go mad. Well, so that also could be an explanation. My mother wore, made uh, me and my older brothers wear later hosen. Uh, well, I was I was three. My other brother was five. My <laughs> really? other brother was seven. So he wore it to second grade, oh, and then so he got made to- we got made fun of a lot. And now he's gay. <laughs> So what did she do with those lederhosen when you guys were done with them? Did she use them as a giant truck cover? <laughs> yes, I think they. She sold them to a uh, to a high school baseball team, and they're the lederhosen. They and made it to the uniforms for all for the, the kids. Team. Yes, it was sort of when like yes, it was a when Jesus turned the fish into many. Yeah, uh, they turned the lederhosen into many as well. How is this different than the U.S. Uh, mysterious missing uh, national parks? People in national parks missing. Is this sort of their it's version? Actually very- very similar. Yeah. It's very similar in terms of when they find people and it's far away from where they lost them. Uh, the, we're going to see right now when we go through the, the separate facts where you find them like a mile away from the actual site, hmm. up mountains. One, You basically found one with evidence of them trying to frantically trying to climb a tree and removal of clothing, which is seen a lot in the disappearances in the National Forest. Very strange. Very high, high strangeness. So when the officials found the nine dead bodies on, uh, uh, on February 26, the first thing that they found, the first thing they noted that was really strange is that the tents that these people had been sleeping in, and they were sleeping when whatever happened happened, the tents were cut apart from the inside. Hmm. Did and you look at any of the pictures as well? Yes. If you look at the pictures, they are ragged cuts too. Yeah. Like they were frantically trying to get out of these tents for whatever reason. Um, God knows. Maybe there was some sort of fucking candy sale. You know how these fucking Germans are with yeah. candy. Yeah. So maybe someone freaked out inside the tent and they were attacking from inside and then you had to cut your way out. Was that the deal? Or? Well, we'll get to the explanation. Come on here. What's happening? Yeah. And so they ran out towards the tree line. All nine people ran out of their tents uh, and a lot of shoes and gear was left behind. Like some people left and, and this was the temperature was negative 24 degrees. When all this was going on. So that's that's a balmy Russian 74 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they left, some people left barefoot, some left wearing nothing but socks. And in some cases, they left with just one sock or just one shoe, which is very strange. Yeah. Yeah. These people left quick, fast, in a hurry. Some of them did. Others, we'll find, did not leave in such a hurry and were much better dressed, but we'll get to that in a bit. The Mm. first two bodies they found at the tree line under a giant pine.
pine tree an entire mile away. And investigators wrote that footprints disappeared about a third of the way there, although that could have been due to the weather in the three weeks it took for the investigators to arrive. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they could have been, uh, but still, the bodies were found, the first two bodies were found a mile away, and those two bodies, they were wearing only their underwear, and both were barefoot, and according to the reports, the branches were broken up high in the tree that they were found under, under, which suggested that they had tried to climb the tree. And they apparently also, is that Hmm. when they were, one source I was reading was saying that they found skin, like basically shreds of their skin in the bark. Oof. As if they were, like, frantically trying to climb up a tree. Yeah, yeah, very fast. But they also found remains of a fire, uh, which suggested, I think it either suggested that they were too frightened to go back to the tents. Something at the tents freaked them out so much they decided to make a fire in their underwear, or it was pitch black. And they just, they were a mile away from the tents. It was pitch black, and they had no idea which direction to go. Either way, it was terrifying. And these people also were found with uh, burns on both the tops of their heads and their hands. Huh, sort of like what happened to the wet bandits in Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Oh, Where was Maybe they came across a young boy that was alone in the woods who hmm. thought they were a bunch of cat burglars. And he <laughs> set up a series were. of pranks for him. Hmm. Possible. How did they But then what happened what would have happened to the fucking wet bandits in Home Alone happened to them, which is they were dead. It uh, killed them. Right. How did they survive this long to even make a fire in negative twenty nine degree weather? I mean, and just wearing underwear and socks? Uh, well, it's, it's Russian. Yeah. Uh, is that, we're, I think we're going to chalk up a lot of things to their Russian. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So three more bodies, including Igor Dilatov's, Uh-oh. were found at points in between the camp and the tree where the first two bodies were found. Uh, and they lay as if they were trying to head back to camp. But one of them had particular strange injuries. His name was Rustam Slobodin. <laughs> <laughs> so his forehead had to be his forehead had to be sloped, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Rustam Slobodin, it just reminds me, it just like seems like a guy who only works out his like pecs and arms, but he's got tiny legs. <laughs> <laughs> like the characters from that David Spade sketch, where they're all roided out, and they just have the yes, little legs. Oh, no. It's a yeah, great exactly. SNL sketch if uh, you Google it. I don't know. Yeah, I want to pump you up. Yeah, yeah and right. he's just like, look at how large my chest has gotten. Oh, it's difficult to keep a balance when I'm run, when I'm balancing on the ball for circus class since I take every Wednesday. Now you can stream the live TV you love for just 40 bucks a month with Sling TV. Get your favorite channels and shows for the best price. If you want live sports, Sling has all the football playoffs and pro and college basketball. Stay up to date with breaking news from around the world with MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Sling also has reality, TV, popular entertainment, kid shows, and more. Sling costs almost half as much as other live TV providers, so you can watch more and pay less. Sling is easy. Sign up in minutes, stream at home or on the go on up to three devices, and record up to 50 hours with included DVR space. Get flexible channel lineups that put you in control. Pause, change, or cancel your service at any time. You'll never get locked into a long-term contract. Check out Sling.com for special offers. Sling, the live TV you love for a price you love. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. 
Thanks, Squarespace. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. I'm, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses Filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay, because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt and not only are you going to get the judge reinhold sitting on the clydesdale entire series clothes and non-clothes what we also are going to offer and i mean this we're trying to get into giraffe rides i brought this up the other day we got to start riding other animals but horses take pictures of the horses photoshop the horses into other celebrities but stop riding them save a horse ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go ahead to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. Uh. So he had very sad. A lot of these people had very strange injuries. Let's start with Rustums. Yeah. First of all, he had uh, traces of a blood discharge coming from his nose. Mm. He had a swelling and many small abrasions of irregular shapes on the right side of his face. He had other abrasions on the left side of his face. His skin was torn from his right forearm. He had Ooh. bruises in the joints on both hands, which suggests that he was uh, involved in hand-to-hand combat combat, uh, and he also had the fracture of the frontal bone of his skull and hemorrhages in his temporalis muscles, which this could have actually been done by a foreign blunt object, and the autopsy states that Slobodin probably suffered loss of coordination due to initial shock right after the blow, which would have sped up his death from hypothermia. Hmm. Now, when I hear the term foreign blunt object, I think like an Asian vase. Is that, <laughs> is that wrong? Yeah, it's possible. Or he was he was hit with a Frenchman. One of the hit two. with a Frenchman, yeah. yeah. It's like, I am sick. I am sick of being a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very strange that he should have the injuries that he has because usually when a person falls, it's their palms that suffer the most. Mm. Of course, you know, when you fall, you put your hands down first. But the injury to the head, especially where his injury was, is much less common. Now, what does that bilateral injury mean? I'd say um, bilateral, probably. So it probably means uh, an injury on both sides of the body. Like you have injuries on the left side of your body and injuries on the right side oh, of your it body. It looks like this. It's According to this, it's two black eyes. Ah, there we go. There Double you go. black eyes. Left and right. Hmm. No, so they hmm. found these guys all at first, and then they bagged them up, and they took them away, and they didn't know what to do. But the next, it, it basically, it took two months until yeah. they found the rest of the bodies. Yeah, they had to wait until the spring thaw before wow. they found the rest of them. And those people were buried under a dozen feet of snow in a gully a few hundred feet downslope from the big tree. 
Uh, and this is where... This shit gets real weird. Yeah, this gets really weird, and it gets really fucking rough. All because four of them... One thing is, like, also, what I was reading about it, too, is, like, when they found them... So when they found them out here, they basically found them... Where was it? It, it, it was another, like, ridiculous amount away from the, the cedar tree that they were all, like, kind of stationed around, right? Mm-hmm. They found that they had taken precautions against the cold. They literally had dug themselves into the ground right. and, and had laid a bunch of cedar branches underneath them to basically create a barrier between them and the snow. And they were also discovered, when you hear the list of like how they discovered, they they were wearing the other people's clothing. They had taken clothing from what may have been already dead bodies and were wearing them. Yeah. Well, that's terrible. That's what hipsters do every time they go clothes shopping at a thrift store. <laughs> They're wearing corpses' clothes. <laughs> all four of these people that were found suffered extremely traumatic deaths. Although there were there was no outward appearance of trauma on no soft tissue damage. It was hmm. all internal injuries. The injury, the autopsy reports say, except for some of the more gruesome details, we'll get to in a second. But the other details say that the uh, injuries that they had could only be compared to the injuries, the internal injuries that one gets from a car crash. Hmm. So they were Or making love to a Ben Kissel. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. That's very nice of you. Thank you. One of them had a fractured skull. His name was Nicholas Thibodeau Brignanel. Yeah. yeah. Another one was Alexander Zolotaryov. He had crushed ribs, but the most gruesome injuries were found on a woman named Ludmila Dubinina. Do we know for sure that they weren't playing the hit me in the ribs with your head game? (laughs) Oh, I love that old Russian game. Oh, it's a great game. That's how president was chosen for up to 29 years. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So this woman, I want to give you a bit of a background on her. She was active in tourist clubs. She liked to sing and take pictures, and many of the pictures uh, of the last trip were shot by her, and the pictures will become much more important later because there was many pictures taken up until the night of the incident, uh, and this was a tough woman. These were, these were tough fucking people. Yeah. On one uh, expedition two years earlier, she had been shot by another dude who was cleaning his rifle uh, and during the entire transportation back she didn't complain not only did she not complain but she felt bad for causing other people trouble well, for I'm having just, to carry her I'm surprised she didn't she didn't say yes to that Russian wedding proposal that sounds pretty <laughs> nice do you shoot him and then you get him if she lives she is wife <laughs> it's a better culture in a lot of ways if she dies she dies. She was wife, though. And she's ghost wife. <laughs> yeah, ghost wife is a great Russian movie. So she <laughs> ghost is... Ghost wife, it's the perfect Russian wife because she can't be heard. Right, it's right, just... right. She's dead, yeah. You, you could just drink vodka in your fucking men's room with all the fucking guys chain-smoking cigarettes and still be officially married. Nobody calls you gay, though, you know, because you got that mm. ghost wife. Oh, yeah. yeah. So she had quite a bit of clothing on. She wore a short sleeve shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and two sweaters, uh, and her body was covered in underwear, long socks, and two pairs of pants. Uh, her external pair of pants was badly damaged by fire and also ripped. She also had a small hat and two pairs of warm socks, uh, and she, in a last attempt to preserve her feet, she 
she took off a sweater and cut it into two pieces and wrapped it around. So if you look, there are there what? were some people that left the camp completely in their underwear. Yeah. But this woman had multiple layers of clothing on. She's like Jeff Daniels' character in Dumb and Dumber <laughs> when Jim Carrey's character's hands are about to freeze <laughs> off. Jeff Daniels' character has two pairs of gloves. Give some people some clothes, woman. My hands are getting sweaty. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> so she has like a comically, comically dressed person who's like moving. You know what I mean? And she's just moving all her clothes at once. Yeah. Except she's dead now. Mm, that's sad. <laughs> so she had some of the most gruesome injuries. First of all, and this is one, this, this detail is kind of what a lot of the mystery centers around. Her tongue was missing. What do you mean? Her tongue was missing. She had no tongue like a in her watch. Mouth. Like you miss your, you're missing a watch. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's just like okay. Got my keys. Got my sunglasses. What am I? She also had soft tissue missing around her eyes, eyebrows, and her left temporal area where bone was partially exposed. Although that was mostly from the frostbite, but her eyes were also missing. Oh. Man. No eyes, no tongue. Her nose cartilage was completely broken and flattened. She had uh, four ribs broken on the right side. She had one, two, three, four, five, six broken on the left side. The soft tissues of her upper lip were missing. Her teeth and upper jaw were exposed. She had a huge hemorrhage in her heart's right atrium. She had a big bruise in the middle of her left thigh and damaged tem- uh, tissues around her left temporal bone on her face. And it's also mentioned that her stomach had about 100 grams of coagulated blood. So what this means uh, the, re- the blood in her stomach, what this means is that her heart was beating and her blood was flowing when her tongue was removed. She was still alive when her tongue was removed. But the Ooh. official cause of death was the hemorrhage to the heart, the multiple fractured ribs, and, of course, the internal bleeding. Yikes. Yeah. That and- is, uh, you want to be asleep for that when the old tongue <laughs> runs away. Yeah. She, she definitely was- got the meat lover's pizza death. <laughs> oh, yeah. In that scenario, she kind of left. They did it all. They left it. They put it all mm. on the menu. Yeah. So it's it was said in the official report that a lot of the injuries to her face, at least a lot of the missing stuff, that was that those injuries were in line with uh, putrefaction in a wet environment, uh, which would have come from her laying face down in a stream. However, photographs of her corpse showed her body kneeling against a large boulder away from running water. Ah, so okay. the photographs so, and the official reports don't match up in who, a lot of different ways. Who took the photograph there? We're going to get to that? The investigators. The investigator. Yeah, the okay. investigator. So the uh, as we saw in Andre Chick in the Andre Chikatilo episode, mm. Russian investigators are not the best at their job. Nope, not at all. They're really bad at it, as we'll see again and again. They're mostly just trying to get out of the cold. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. So yeah, these final four were much better outfitted than the uh, in the other five because apparently, as Henry said, they took the clothes 
off of the dead. Uh, so this guy, uh, Zolotarov, he was found wearing Dubinina's coat and hat, while she in turn wrapped her foot in a piece of wool pants that one of the two found at the pine tree had been wearing. So there mm. was a definite, there. not everyone died at once. Right. So some people died first, second, third. There was a lo- there was a long chain of events that resulted in the entire uh, the entire team ending up being dead. It went cuckoo bananas. It sounds yeah, like, like the definition. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this guy, this guy was very, the, another guy, uh, very strange discoveries on uh, his body and very strange injuries. His name was. Uh, Semen Zolotarev. That's a rough name. That's a rough. That's the worst one. Yeah. Yeah. Semen Zolotarev. He was. My name is Cum Robertson. <laughs> he was found. Cum Robertson. Yeah, I had to yeah. change it when I left Russia. What were you in Russia? <laughs> semen Zolotarev. Oh, you were Siemens. Okay, good choice. I guess good choice. He was found with two hats, a scarf, uh, a short long, a uh, short sleeve shirt, a long sleeve shirt, a black sweater and a coat with two upper buttons unbuttoned and it was clear that he did not die from hypothermia his lower body was protected by underwear two pairs of pants and a pair of skiing pants he also had a lot of different items on him Uh, he had a copy uh, he had newspapers he had a lot of coins he had a compass few other items his feet were protected by a pair of socks and a pair of warm leather handmade shoes known as a Burka. Uh. I guess that's what they call burkas in Russia. And they're all wrong. And here's another really weird part. He had a camera around his neck, yeah. uh, which is clearly seen in the pictures of his body. And this camera was a complete surprise to the guy that was left behind, the one survivor. Uh, he assumed that the group only had four cameras, which all four were uh, found in the tent, but what this means is that Zolotarev had a secret camera secret. that not only did he not tell any of everyone else about, but he grabbed the camera on the way out of the tent. He had Something all was the- happening that he literally, the first thing he grabbed, it's like literally walking into the middle, negative 10 weather, the first yeah. thing he thought of was to grab the camera. There's a what good the chance. Is going- there's a good chance. Uh, it, that was his poo-poo-pee-pee cam that he kept in the restroom, and he didn't want anybody to find his stash. I love that this guy I had... I don't want anyone to know that I take a picture every single time one of my dookies looks like a letter of the alphabet. Because I think it's spelling a message. D-R-I-N-K-Drink? Why? Oh, drink your... Ovaltine. <laughs> oh man! You know, so we talk about Siemens camera, but <laughs> but unfortunately, water damaged the film, so we don't actually know what, or at least the Soviets say that mm-hmm. water damaged this film. So we don't know what images ca- uh, Siemens captured out there that night. But uh, interesting. It's, <laughs> it's just it's a rough name. Let's call him Zabolowski. Wherever it's no, uh, he's going to be Siemens to the, the. I mean, till his memory is gone from this world. Still he will always me. be semen. Semen. Uh, and so, one, uh, as far as semen's injuries go, his 
eyes were missing. Once again, again. you had missing eyes. Uh, he was also missing soft tissues around his left eyebrow where the bone was exposed. Uh, and he also, his chest was broken in. Uh, he had uh, multiple ribs broken on the, li- on the right side, fracture lines. He had an open wound on the right side of his skull. Uh, and these people, both Zolotarev and Dumanina, who b- had the worst of the injuries, they have... Um, they have injuries that are very similar in direction and force despite their differences in shape, height, and body composition, which was which would suggest that the two injuries were not a single uniform event, such as an avalanche. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were homemade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And while some say that they were attacked by Monsi tribesmen, as I said earlier, coroner said that the trauma found required more force than a human being could inflict. Uh, but they don't understand that the Manzi have a very specific style of attack, which they leave a banana tied to a string and they lead you out to a forest while one of the other ones are sitting behind the wheel of a truck. <laughs> they just fucking uh, pop you with a truck. That makes sense. <laughs> so... Let's get to some possible explanations. So this. this is the end of the evidence. That's what we know. Yeah, that, oh, is, right. that is for certain. Like th- that is a that it, we found these bodies. These were the injuries, and that's kind of the story as it is. And y- whatever the guy's name is, still glued to the toilet somewhere. You're a Uden. You're a Uden. Still, <laughs> still glued to the toilet. Yeah. So for the first bit of evidence, the first mystery that we have here uh, is that their clothes were tested and found to be radioactive, or at least one member of the group. His clothes were tested and found to be radioactive. And what's weird about this is that the officials thought to check the clothes for radioactivity. It's not often that you come upon a a group of nine bodies and you think, all right, well, let's get the Geiger counter out. Mm -hmm. But honestly, Russia has deposits of naturally, like that's where plutonium comes from. They find it in the hills of of Russia. They know it's there. Uranium is just kind of around. The kids play with it because they think they're toys because are glowing and they don't get real toys because the toys are given up to the fucking consulates yep. <laughs> at the parliament. Mm-hmm. It should be noted, however, that one of the guys, uh, Yuri Krivonashenko, Krivin- uh, clo- he was the guy that had the heightened radiation on his clothes. He had once worked at Chelyabinsk 40, a secret nuclear facility that experienced a disaster that became known as the Kushtimkoi incident. So this guy survived a nuclear meltdown and was just like, I'm going to go skiing yeah. and celebrate my victory against death. Two years earlier, wow. uh, the incident happened. There was a radioactive leak, and he was among the people who were sent to clean it up. And But... <laughs> His body, of course, he would not still have that much radiation in his body two years later. The guy would have died. The only explanation for a link between these two things is if Yuri was still wearing the clothes that he was wearing when he cleaned up the nuclear reactor. Unwashed. And that just seems dumb. It's yeah. possible. It just seems like, wouldn't they also be openly glowing? Or like, something? Yeah. like, it would be a... Th- it would be interesting. Also... That's the other thing, too. In Soviet, like, when they sent them out to fix these fucking, uh, these nuclear power plants, it's like, it's literally just with, like, a bucket and a box. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, it's it's just, it's a day in the life of being uh, a janitor in Russia. Maybe his shirt was sort of like a hyper-color shirt. Kind of changed colors. If you touch it, it could be cool. (laughs) (laughs) So going to the funerals of the actual victims, one eyewitness 
granted, 12-year-old boy, but there were other eyewitnesses, other family mm-hmm. members, uh, but one 12-year-old eyewitness said that he saw the bodies, and he claimed that the bodies had a, quote, deep brown tan, which suggests that they possibly had an encounter with a nuclear weapons test as the campsite was located on the pathway from Balakanur Cosmodrone hmm. to Chornaya Guba, which was a Soviet nuclear testing ground. And most I'll reports- also say that this was d- 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 this Dyaldatav Pass was also kind of lesser known as the Jersey Shore of Russia. <laughs> oh, you think they were they were putting on some tanner, huh? Some spray tan. Huh. And most reports also insisted that their hair had lost all of its pigmentation and the hair was a dull shade of gray. Wow, that's great. So this is a transport from from the nuclear facilities, huh? Yeah, a path yeah, it's a path between the I mean it was a it was a Monsi path, but yeah. this path was also used to go between these two nuclear testing facilities. I mean, those Monsies had a rough. Oh my They're, god. We'll oh, get to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to them in Too a second. Bad. But another and uh, a really strange thing about this entire story was the links that the Soviet Union went to cover it up. If this was just an avalanche then they would not have gone. To, they would not have checked for radiation. They would not have gone to the yeah. links. They sealed off the area for four years, and all of the documents about the case were sealed after they were closed. And when they finally became uh, accessible in the 1990s during Glasnost, parts of the reports were missing, and other reports uh, also suggest there was a lot of scrap metal in and around the area, which leads to speculation the military had used the area secretly and might have been engaged in a cover-up. And Alexander Kolovatov, he kept a personal diary, and the only survivor of the group testified that it was with him on the last trip, but the diary was missing. Ah. Also, it is notoriously difficult to just to... Research this topic yes. in Russia. Oh yeah, uh, they shut people out all the time. They talk. I was watching one thing, and basically, officials. It, it's it's kind of like the area. Well, Area Fifty One in America is now they make fun of you. That's right. how they. That's how they beg you off. Where this is, it is they shut you down. They they take your funding away if you are if they remotely find out you are researching this. And it's like why, if not again, there's some sort of connection to either secret technology. Or, uh, who knows, a secret uh, power plant, nuclear power plant. Now all that might be moved. Uh, There's that good uh, documentary, Disinformation Men, all about how, like, uh, Area 51, it's probably... Now they want you to believe the aliens are there, because they're no longer there anymore. You know, now it's just... It's a a glorified truck stop full of trinkets and and random (laughs) gifts for Grandpa. So I'm sure you can go check this place out now in Russia. Yeah, you can go there. In fact, they do... uh, People do uh, hikes through the Dilatov Pass. Yeah. Uh, and there are, there are certain superstitions surrounding it, of course, in that you can, people never hike through it in groups of nine. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you, try, not to, yeah, you yeah. try not to recreate the exact conditions of the Dilatov Pass incident, but people do still hike through there. Keep on, put a little bell on the under your tongue so you always know where it is. <laughs> so you can't go missing. All right, so... The most likely explanation for this is that it was an avalanche, and the likely explanation for them being uh, naked was a phenomenon called paradoxical undressing, which happens in 25% of hypothermia, mm. uh, hypothermia victims. What happens here is that the hypothalamus 
malfunctions and you feel like you're getting warmer when your body is actually getting colder. Now, this is a common way that they talk about the like high strangeness and disappearance cases. They always talk about this this weird paradoxical undressing. It's just it, but in 25%, it's just like it, it just doesn't seem like it it explains what happens here. I yeah. don't I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's different when you're by yourself, but when you're with a bunch of other people, it's like, are you hot? Yeah, I'm hot. I'm yeah. not a scientist. <laughs> oh, maybe they're going for one last uh, romp in the old snow or something. Yeah, well, yeah, they're trying to pull one of those Russian daisy chains. Yeah, <laughs> that's called. It's technically called a slag chain. Oh, oh, Jesus God. So one supporting factor for uh, for the theory of the avalanche is that the avala- avalanches aren't actually uncommon on any slope that accumulates snow. And then despite the area not being prone to avalanches, uh, slab avalanches do occur in new snow, which we said earlier, the weather was pretty fucking terrible. You, and uh, you know when I'm having sex, that's the name of my uh, finishing move. It's the slab avalanche. <laughs> uh, and then the woman just comes and comes when I give her the old slab avalanche. I thought it was called riding the wave. Yeah, that's what she does after the slab. You ride the slab avalanche. That's the the wave it creates there. Well, they'd say another thing that uh, supports the avalanche theory is that the tent was halfway torn down and partially covered with snow, which could support the theory of a small avalanche pushing snow into the tent, which is why they cut open the uh, tent and went outside. But... The theory has gaps uh, from what we can tell about the naked footprints left by the group. Uh, everyone seemed to come out of the uh, snow with relative ease. Like they weren't trying to dig their way out of snow. Uh, and it is very unlikely that people with broken ribs and especially the broken tri- uh, chest would have been able to move at all because yeah. they, these uh, injuries that they found on these people, uh, they were so terrible. I mean, if your chest bone is broken, you're not going to be able to dig your way out of an avalanche. No way. Like, there's no way that that's going to happen. No, you're too busy going, ow, 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and of course, these people, the, all these people were extremely experienced and well-trained, and th- they knew that the risk of getting out into this extreme cold was much higher than the risk of being killed by an avalanche, especially mm-hmm. just in the flimsy clothing that some of them went out with. Yeah. And this is one of the, big, this is one of the biggest reasons why an avalanche isn't likely. Uh, if you compare pictures taken on February 1st by the the Dilatov uh, Pass group, and on February 26, when the group was first found by investigators, you can see that a ski pole that was stuck in the ground kept its vertical position on the slope for weeks after the tragedy struck, which would be impossible had an avalanche came down off of the mountain to crush the campers. Hmm. And if you can pull or that... highly improbable. Yeah. <laughs> if you can pull impossible. that... Impossible! Impossible? <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, and uh, also and the young Vladimir Putin went to that snow, and he he took that little stick and he pulled it out of the snow, and now he's president. <laughs> so think about that. Another re- fairly reasonable scientific explanation for this is I find this fascinating. It's called the Carmen vortex. This is very interesting because yeah. I've heard of stuff about like this before. It's phantom noises hmm. created yeah. by the environment. 
Yeah, this is amazing. So the shape of Dead Mountain Summit, uh, combined with its proximity to the Dilatov Group's tent, they created the ideal conditions for something called the Carmen Vortex, which occurs as a, a guy who wrote an entire book about the Dilatov. His name was uh, Icar. He wrote an entire book about the Carmen Vortex and the Dilatov Pass incident. He said, uh, when wind of a certain speed hits a blunt object of a particular shape and size, it causes causes a Carmen vortex to be created and mm. a Carmen vortex creates these tiny air vortices which are just small so, tornadoes. So this is kind of like huh. this is can this also maybe be called like the Mega Man Vortex because that's <laughs> yeah. the Mega Man villain weapon. Yeah, it's like after you beat Air Man and Mega Man mm-hmm. 2, the things that you shoot out of your hand, yeah, those that's tornadoes. those little tiny tornadoes. So little and tornadoes did all this? It, it crushes your chest muscles and rips at your fucking tongue. Well, the, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The little tornado got into the people's uh, people's eyes and things. <laughs> so huh. what uh, would happen with these small tornadoes, it would have produced uh, infrasound which infrasound is, uh, the sound is actually below the range of human hearing. So what these people actually found is they found these extreme vibrations in their body. Uh, hmm. And they found that they had like these inner ear uh, malfunctions, which would have caused them to freak out. Hmm. Hey, Igor, hey, hey, buddy, hey. How about you get your dick out of your pants? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> come on, Igor, come on. I think Ludwig has been giving you the look. Mm-hmm. Booby's been shaking just right. C- come on. Take your dick out of your pants. I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> I don't know what I'm hearing, but I am liking it. Infrasound also causes nausea and it causes objects to shake. It occurs from man-made sources and also in nature as a byproduct of earthquakes, landslides, meteors, and some tornadoes, hmm. including these mini tornadoes. And if any of you out there have ever been anywhere near a tornado, you know how fucking loud it is. It is so amazing. You cannot, if you've never been around one, you can't even imagine how fucking loud a tornado is. Yeah. Uh, and these what were does a tornado sound like? <laughs> oh, I thought it sounded like a bunch of cows spinning around. <laughs> yeah, I thought it sounded like a woo-woo-woo. TV still on, Ed O'Neill's yelling at some new wife of his. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> tornadoes yeah tornadoes yeah <laughs> that was about right yeah so it could have been that these people were uh bombarded with uh infrasound which would have caused them to freak out and to run out of the tent as far and as fast as they possibly could and they got so far away from the tent that they uh couldn't find their way back a couple of people died at the tree line the other ones took their clothes off of them and wandered off into the wrong direction uh and this guy claims that the whole tongue missing thing claims that it never happened what do you mean it never happened he claims that it never happened where are the tongues <laughs> no just some some cruel russian investigator just going like look hey everybody look over him here guy cut out the tongue and look never have to lick a stamp again <laughs> oh that's great i do think in russia that would be a, a, a stamp licker it's just a, a corpse's tongue <laughs> 
You just got to keep it wet. <laughs> so you mean to tell me that literally tiny tornadoes that made a lot of noise scared them out of the tents and they ran away from them? Yes, hmm. tiny tornadoes made a lot of noise in addition to the noise plus the infrasound, which uh, tickled their inner ear uh, hairs, which would have caused them to feel extremely fearful. It would have caused them essentially to freak out. They wouldn't have known what was going on and all they wanted to do was get the fuck out of there as soon as possible. The old man from Up would have really freaked out. He had a lot, a lot <laughs> yeah. of those uh, ear hairs. So, of course, we... For some ha- reason, the Yeti Tea Party still sounds like a more credible argument. I agree. I think it's definitely, at this point, we know for a fact it's the Yeti Tea Party until, cur- until disproven. Well, you haven't heard aliens yet. Oh. Because it is also a theory that aliens caused well, you, this entire incident to happen. Well, the big thing we want to talk about, if, uh, one thing that could tie aliens into it is that if there was true that there was a secret sort of nuclear testing facility, aliens have been known to visit test nuclear testing facilities because they apparently, you know, alien phenomenon is linked to nuclear testing all the time because they're concerned about what we're going to do to our solar system. Oh, yeah. Right. Animals as humans. 150 miles northeast is the tiny village of Molyopka uh, slash Molebka, which is in the Perm region. Hmm. Uh, and here in Molyopka, uh, Molyopka, Molyopka, Molebka. In the Perm region, which is also where Lionel Richie was born. <laughs> oh, I love Lionel. He's great. Yeah. Over in this place, we find audio anomalies, uh, sudden outbreaks of fire, electronic interference, plenty of UFO sightings, and very strange plasma balls. Oh. Yeah. The area also has an ozone smell to it. People experience strange fatigue feelings of being watched, and the cell phone signal is terrible in the village, except in a six-by-six-foot area where it's almost perfect. Oh, yeah, and that's where aliens set up their Wi-Fi hotspots so they can check their Instagram feeds. I, <laughs> Alien Instagrams are the funniest. They are funny. Mm. So interviews given by the lead investigator, a guy named Lev Ivanov, uh, who, by the way, became obsessed with UFOs after investigating this incident. Uh, he said that he noticed that the pines in the forest around Dilatov Pass, particularly the ones where the bodies were found, were burned at the top. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Which like goes- the head of the character from Home Alone, <laughs> the wet bandits... Hmm. And he said that he was told at the time to keep the case extremely shut to any and all media, to any and all other people, by the Soviet government, any kind of reports of bright flying uh, spheres or anything like that, which were reported in and around the area in February and March of 1959. Mm -hmm. And the last photograph on the film in one of the cameras found in the tent appears to capture a giant flash against the night sky. I uh, said, I saw the picture, and it's very interesting. Is yeah. it? Yeah. I, I, yes, it's I, very yeah. interesting. You take a picture. It just it, it looks like it's a super blurry picture. I mean, you know, it doesn't look like anything. Yeah. It could be a fucking balloon. I don't know what it is. Ivanov said, I suspected at the time, and I'm almost sure now, that these bright flying spheres had a direct connection to the group's death. There were other UFO sightings in the area at the time. On the morning of March 31st, a group of search and rescue volunteers saw 
glowing pulsating orbs in the sky uh, and another group of students camped out around 30 miles from the other group they also reported similar sightings at the time uh, hmm. and in written testimony one of those students uh, said that he saw a shining circular body fly over the village from the southwest to the northeast he said the shining disc was practically the size of a full moon a blue white light surrounded by a blue halo and the hi- halo brightly flashed like the flashes of distant lightning and when the body disappeared behind the horizon, the sky lit up for a few minutes afterwards. Oh, cool. Yeah. And another group of geologists 70 kilometers away from the mountains said that they saw some glowing and pulsating orbs flying in the direction of the campsite on the evening of the tragedy. And a group of Monsi hunters that camped out near this place claimed to have also seen flying orbs near the mountain on the night in question. So aliens went yeah. there on a hot first date and then the guy was like, what do you want, honey? And she's like, tongues and eyes. <laughs> and then he just got tongues and Again? eyes. Again, <laughs> uh, come, Kratzdor. We must collect more tongues and eyes so I can finger bang Crick Rock. Oh, <laughs> Crick Rock was hot as hell, though, man. Hot as hell. So we've gone through, uh, we've gone through science. We've gone through aliens. Now, time for some cryptids. Uh-oh. Time for, it's time for some yetis. Yeah. So one early European again. So and this is the, again the full package, kind of like Bridgewater Triangle. We yeah. got aliens, we got fucking nuclear testing facilities, and now we got tiny manzy people. Yeah, we got everything, man. These tiny manzy people. One European traveler who first encountered them said that they possessed incredible powers. When one army was approaching, uh, was approaching these people, the locals started to destroy a mountain, or at least huh. the Tatars. The Tartars thought hmm. that that's what they were doing. Uh, and when they returned, they left the area for 10 years. And when they returned, they found ruins. And when they tried to approach the locals, they were hindered by a cloud-like formation that appeared between the two groups. And the cloud was impenetrable. The Tartars lost their eyesight as they tried to approach it. But strangely enough, not even the Monsi people could cross the cloud to go over to the a Tartars. Straight farce. <laughs> yep. Many indigenous cultures have used the art of harnessing farts mm-hmm. in order to face various form of white men across this whole world. And I think the people of Ferguson... You're going to bring Ferguson into this, huh? <laughs> is, that the, is that the right thing to do? <laughs> I'm just saying they can collectively... To fart. <laughs> so you want you want the you want the black community of Ferguson to, to fart off and the their white allies and their white allies. Sure, but that's not getting the news press, is it? Fart off the cops. Fart it's off the cops. And, and as effective. a matter of fact, you can if you are in police custody, fart all you want. Please, why not? We encourage fart it. it up. Fart it up. Do it. So the Monsi people, they have their own version of the Yeti called the Menkvi. They say that it's an angry and violent human-like animal that roams the Ural Mountains. The legend claims that their behavior and aggression towards the humans is the reason why the gods punish the world with the Great Flood. And very few Menkvi survived on the very top of Mount Louvre in Sjakver. 
and others drown. These creatures were left to walk in solitude across the empty land. They die, but they are later reborn in the same shape and appearance. Their bodies themselves are invincible, but even if something destroys the Minkfi, there is a way to repair the damage. It is possible to create a new Minkfi from the bodies of his fallen comrades, just as it's possible to use parts of robots to build a new robot. But but if uh, what if you're one it's of the similar to- what if you're one of the Mengfis that becomes one of the parts the, for the other Mengfi? Then you're part of the you're it's the Mengfi, it's the new Mengfi. I don't know you're its arm or something. I think whoever has the head is the main Mengfi. Ah, uh, all right. Would you the one who's got the dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so several members of the search party that found the uh, victims of the Dillotop Pass incident, they remembered that when they told the native Monsi uh, that the native Monsi were shocked when they described uh, the injuries to them. Uh, some of them believed, of course, some of the Mincy believed uh, that the deaths could have been caused by a Minkfi since uh, several caribous and reindeer belonging to a local Mansi herder were killed by a Minkfi just a few weeks prior to the accident, and the bodies of nine Mansi hunters that were found dead on uh, that same mountain hmm. that were left in place, but those Play, those bodies too showed very strange signs of internal damage. The same types of internal damage that the Dilatov Pass people suffered. Oh, very interesting. So everyone's pointing fingers here. Everyone's pointing fingers. Hmm. And most interestingly, the American Embassy in Nepal sent a document to the Department of State in Washington entitled Regulations Covering Mountain Climbing Expeditions in Nepal relating to the Yeti. That was just a bored senator. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if, you're, if you're a senator, I mean, that's the cool you thing just about... just saw one of the only Himalayan basketball players up there. Exactly. It was just Strom Thurmond. Exactly. <laughs> Looking for one more person to be racist towards. If you're a congressman or a senator, I would like once a week, I would just be like Sasquatch, just in the subject line, <laughs> and just like send it out. It'd be so fun. People take you very seriously in those positions. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, this uh, this uh, document contains three regulations uh, for climbers that they must abide by should they encounter a Yeti. Very interestingly, the date on the document, December 20th, 1959. Just no a- shit! <laughs> oh, fuck! Just a few short months after the Dilatov Pass incident. Cool. What are the three steps? I don't know. I didn't look those. All right. Very good. First thing you do is you get the Yeti drunk. Second thing you do Mm -hmm. is you play party jams for the Yeti. Get him dancing. Third thing you do, let him sleep it off. Oh, that's nice. Yetis need to rest. Also, he may have had some incident with sleeping with some sort of Yeti woman up there and he's trying to cover up a secret pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good there's a good chance of that. Just whatever you do, if you go up and down mountain, you see a monkey woman. But the last thing you do, the thing you don't do, you don't fuck it because they can will and they will definitely carry the child to combination and you will be responsible for it. Oh, man. <laughs> the last possible thing we're going to cover, the last possible cryptid is called the Vursa. 
Cool. The Vorsa, they were representations of the lords of the forest. If a whirlwind appeared, it was a sign that a slew of forest sprites, possibly a wedding party, were around. Uh And at such times, one could see the spirits for oneself by looking through one's legs and squinting through one's fingers. (laughs) Well, that just seems like a (laughs) weird doctor. Like a strange, like, doctor exam. The Vorsa came in many forms. Some of them looked like humans, and others were gigantic beings without any clothes, ugly and bearded with reversed feet, lacking eyebrows and eyelashes, and many were without a shadow. And sometimes the Vorsa were described as a tall man in a black wool coat. Well, I just checked. My feet are straightforward, so I am fine. I am not one of them. You see that in a lot of different... lot of uh, ancient uh, folklore, especially when you're talking about demons and such, you see the backwards feet quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a very strange, but I find that fascinating. The origins of the backwards feet is actually uh, because many uh, because they are hunting societies. The uh, thing that has backwards feet is very difficult to track oh. because when it's walking, it looks like it's walking backwards. Oh. Wow. All right. There Making we go. them even more terrifying. Nice. So yes. we just gave you guys many different explanations, possible explanations for the Dilatov Pass incident. Ben, what do you think it was? Well, I think it was aliens on a date. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> Henry, what do you think? I I think that it was, the, uh, to be honest, it may be these fucking tiny tornadoes that made uh, Igor take his dick out of his pants. I'm going. For, I'm honestly going for tiny tornadoes. I All really right. am. I think it's the most reasonable explanation. Tiny tornadoes have it, but leave a message on the Facebook page and let us know what you think or some other theories that you might have. Yeah, if we missed any in our research, let us know. Uh, and yeah, be sure to go to the Facebook group. Join the Facebook group if you haven't. It's, it's a wonderful community over there. We got yep. almost 3,000 members now. Oh, great. Thank everyone out yes. there who comments and like on it and, and post rate, stuff. Uh, rate us on iTunes, five yes. stars, please. Yeah. That's right. Or whatever, however many stars you think we're worth, just be true to yourself. Yes. Five stars, please. Uh, <laughs> and if you want your own, your very own Last Podcast on the Left t-shirt, go to cavecomedyradio.com slash left, and you can get one for $25 here in America or $40 overseas. Or if you, I mean, how mm-hmm. if you just want to give us a five bucks here and there, if you want to donate just a little bit, that's fucking great too. Just uh, whatever you can helps. That's great. And listen to all the other shows here on Cave Comedy Radio, especially the ones that Marcus Parks and I do. That's right. Um, all right. So that's Marcus Parks on Twitter. I'm Ben Kissel on Twitter. That's Henry Loves You on Twitter. I'm going to say a hail yourself. I'm going to say a hob game. Hail Satan, please. And then will you also <laughs> hail me after you hail Satan? <laughs> hail Satan, please. Hail Satan, please. All right, everyone. If you would, please do that. Yes. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Magustulations. We will talk to you soon. Magustulations to you all. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. <laughs>